Welcome to 2023. Uh, it is customary, as I'm sure if you've uh, hung out in the Western world at all, it is customary to make New Year's resolutions, to make bold promises of things we want to change about our lives. And, um, I, you know, I, I think some people will tell you that's a terrible idea, and some people tell you that's a great idea. I hope somewhere in there, you do have desires for this year as a follower of Christ. I hope that you do have desires for what 2023 will look like for you if you're a Christian. That that, that you want to be more committed to Christ, you want to love and obey Christ more in the year to come than you did in the past year. And so we're going to spend the first couple weeks here of the year looking at some stories from the scriptures about people who do just that. People who decide to commit themselves more wholeheartedly to God and to look at what happens to them, to see what they experience, to to see what we can learn from them, Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, if you will. All the warnings and the things that we need to remember and, and all the great stuff that we see happen. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Now, that's not Corinthians, which is the one in the New Testament. Chronicles is in the Old Testament. We are going to look at a story from the life of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah is fairly young when he becomes king. He's about 25 years old. His dad was awful. His father was one of the worst kings ever in the history of the nation. Uh, We're told that he filled Jerusalem with altars to any and every possible God. He worshiped all sorts of other gods in God's temple. He desecrated God's temple. He even committed human sacrifice in God's temple. Now, wow, you wanna make God angry? Killing people in his temple is a good start. Um, He is a terrible, terrible king. But fortunately, Hezekiah's grandfather was quite a good king. And so for the first 10 years of Hezekiah's life, from when he's born until he's 10, his grandfather is the king. He has that good experience. Then his grandfather dies. His father becomes king. His father rules for 15 years. And it says when his father dies, they don't even bury him with the rest of the kings because he was so awful. And Hezekiah, as about a 25-year-old kid, comes onto the throne. And from day one, he decides to commit himself back to the Lord. He starts to undo everything that his father did. And the first thing he does, day one of his reign, is to start cleansing the temple. And it takes a long time. But he cleanses the whole temple. And then it hits New Year's. And so we're going to read about Hezekiah's New Year's resolution. So read along with me. 2 Chronicles chapter 30. I'm going to read the whole chapter and even the first verse from chapter 31. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. The plan seemed right both to the king and to the whole assembly. They decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan, calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. It hadn't been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. At the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, people of Israel, 
Return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your parents and your fellow Israelites who are unfaithful to the Lord, the God of your ancestors, so that he made them an object of horror as you see. Do not be stiff-necked as your ancestors were. Submit to the Lord. Come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God so that his fierce anger will turn away from you. If you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land for the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you turned it, return to him. The couriers went from town to town and Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulon humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of, the, of God was on the people to give them unity of mind in carrying out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. The very, a very large crowd of people assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread in the second month. They removed the altars in Jerusalem and cleared away the incense altars and threw them into the Kidron Valley. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the temple of the Lord. Then they took up their regular positions as prescribed in the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests splashed, blood against the, splashed against the altar the blood handed to them by the Levites. Since many in the crowd had not consecrated themselves, the Levites had to kill the Passover lambs for all those who were not ceremonially clean and could not consecrate their lambs to the Lord. Although most of the many people who had come from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulon had not purified themselves, Yet they ate the Passover contrary to what is written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if they are not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. The Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing, while the Levites and priests praised the Lord every day with resounding instruments dedicated to the Lord. Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. For the seven days, they ate their assigned portions and offered fellowship offerings and praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. The whole assembly then agreed to celebrate the festival seven more days. So for another seven days, they celebrated joyfully. Hezekiah, king of Judah, provided a thousand bulls and 7,000 sheep and goats for the assembly. And the officials provided them with a thousand bulls and 10,000 sheep and goats. A great number of priests consecrated themselves. The entire assembly of Judah rejoiced, along with the priests and Levites and all who had assembled from Israel, including the foreigners who had come from Israel and also those who resided in Judah. There was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the days of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in all Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people and God heard them, for their prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. When all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out of their towns of Judah, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin, in Ephraim and in Manasseh. After they had destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their own towns and to their own property. So why is this a New Year's resolution? Because in Hezekiah's world, the Passover starts the year. Now that's changed in modern Judaism. But in Exodus, when God leads the Israelites out from Egypt and makes them their own nation, he says, this is the beginning of the year. This is the first month of the year. And the first thing you do is you celebrate the Passover. Now it's moved, and we have no idea why, but it's moved into the fall. And so you have Rosh Hashanah, which literally means top of the year, the new year. And the first thing you celebrate now in Judaism is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. 
But in this time, the Passover is the new year. It's the first thing that's going to happen for them. So Hezekiah decides, it seems like he's probably still in his first year. We're told day one, he commits himself to God. He decides, we, we've cleansed the temple. We're bringing the people back to God. We're going to celebrate the Passover. And the very first thing that happens, because the first thing we're going to look at is all the things that go wrong in his New Year's resolution. The first thing that happens is that he can't do it. You're supposed to celebrate the Passover in the first year. It's the new year. But look at what happens in verse 2. They decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate at the regular time. That's the first month because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people hadn't assembled. So he he decides he is going to do what what his father had never done. He's going to do what the scriptures command. He's going to obey. They're going to celebrate the Passover. And the very first thing that happens to him is he hits a snag. And he's he's got a logistical issue. He can't get the people there together soon enough. And, And he doesn't give up. He just pushes it out another month. The law actually allows that. In Exodus, if you're traveling during the Passover, if somebody's died and you're making funeral preparations, you can't do it the first month, it says do it the second month. Okay, that's what he does. He's trying to do something good. He's trying to follow and honor God, but he can't do it the way he should. All right, He, he doesn't quit. He doesn't say, okay, fine, we'll try again next year. It's like, well, I'll make another resolution, you know, beginning of next year. It's like, okay, well, well, we'll just try again. We'll try again the next month. That's the first thing he does. And he sends out invitations to the whole country. If you see, he is in Judah. That's in the south. He sends out to Ephraim and Manasseh, which is north of him, all the way to Zebulun. That's the farthest northern place in Israel. So he sends it to Jews everywhere in the country, inviting them to come. And verse 10, people scorned and ridiculed them. So he sets out to do something good. He sets out to honor God and obey. He invites people to come with him, and they abuse him for it. And they don't want, they don't want anything to do with it. So right off the bat, this kid who is trying to do what is good and right, he's got logistical problems. He can't get everybody together. He doesn't have enough priests. He can't make this happen. And he's got people problems. Folks, folks aren't coming. They're not responding. They're ridiculing him. If you want to be more committed to Jesus this year than you were last year, remember Hezekiah. Expect setbacks. Expect opposition. Expect problems. Expect that stuff isn't going to work the way you think, the way you hope. Because expectations are huge. We all know that. If you expect that something's going to be a breeze and you go in and it's hard, Wow, that's awful. But if you expect something's going to be really difficult and you go in and, oh, you know, it, it's not easy, but it's not terrible, then you come out saying, oh, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't bad. The exact same thing. What matters is how we think about it. You've heard that, uh, that aphism, you know, that, that attitude is, is altitude. How you think about something, your attitude towards something matters, If you set your heart on doing what is right, if you decide, okay, I'm going to follow Christ, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be this person, this is how I'm going to change this year, remember Hezekiah. You should expect setbacks. You should expect opposition. You should expect that some stuff just isn't going to go your way. Now, look at what happens down in verse 13. He finally gets everybody together. He's finally got enough priests. 
He's got the temple cleared. Some people have come. He gets the crowd together. Verse 13, a large crowd assembles in Jerusalem. Why? To celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. That's the Passover. They are there to celebrate the Passover. So what do they do first in verse 14? They removed the altars in Jerusalem and cleared away the incense altars and threw them into the Kidron Valley. They have all come to celebrate the Passover, but that's not the first thing they can do. There's work to be done first because Hezekiah's dad, Ahaz, filled the city with altars to other gods. Hezekiah has cleared the temple. He's cleansed it. Now they've got to cleanse the city. And can you imagine the amount of work we're talking about? Well, again, we're told the, te- the city is full of altars. They're made of earth and stone and brick and wood. They're everywhere. They have to go through, demolish all these altars, whatever they're made out of, and then haul it to the Kidron Valley, which is right outside the walls of Jerusalem. So they got to load all this stuff up, haul it outside the city walls, and dump it. The Kidron Valley was a cemetery. They're taking these altars and they're giving them to the dead. They're dumping them. Can you imagine how much work that was to go through the whole city? They came to celebrate the Passover. But there is often work that needs to be done first. There are often things in our lives that have to be cleaned up. You know, when you say yes to one thing, if you say, so, you know, Tim, right, talking about Bible reading plans. Imagine you come out of this today saying, yep, absolutely, I'm going to read the Bible. Oh, we're definitely going to talk more about that today. You decide, you're going to, yes, I'm, I'm going to read the Bible regularly, right? Every Monday through Friday, that's the plan I'm going to do. Great, when are you going to do it? I mean, like, seriously, when in the day are you going to do it? Okay, so normally in the mornings, I get up, I have my cup of coffee, I read the newspaper. Instead, I'm going to get up and, and, and read the Bible and have my cup of coffee. All right, so you're going to say no to the newspaper. If you're going to say yes to read the Bible, you've got to say no to the newspaper. Maybe you need to stop the subscription. Maybe you need to hide it somewhere. Maybe you need to get it delivered in the afternoon instead of in the morning. Every time you say yes to something, you are saying no to everything else. These guys say yes to the Passover, but there's work to be done first. They've got to clear out the city. They've got to get rid of all these altars. They've got to get rid of all this worship to all these other gods. They're not going to do that before, that they've got to do that work before they celebrate the Passover. And so they do. We're we're told that that's exactly true, and that's going to happen to you. If you want to follow God, there are other things that are going to happen. If you decide you want to read the Bible, you're going to have to make some changes. You can't just slide in. We're all living 24 hours in the day right now. If you're going to add 10, 15 minutes of Bible, Bible reading, you're going to get rid of 10 or 15 minutes of something else. TV, sleep, daydreaming, I don't know. But you're going to have to decide. Just like these guys, they had to clear out the city. There was work to be done. They had to do it. Now, finally, in verse 15, we finally get to the actual Passover. They slaughter the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. Should have been the first month, but now we're on the second month. And again, look what happens. Look at the hiccup in verse 17. Since many in the crowd had not consecrated themselves, the Levites had to kill the Passover lamb for all those who were not ceremonially clean. 
Now the Levites already have a job. In verse 16, the priests splash against the altar the blood handed them by the Levites. The Levites are already doing something there. They have work to be done. But now they've got more. All of a sudden, because of what other people did and other folks' decisions, what's that saying, right? Your emergency does not constitute my responsibility. Well, it does for them. But because of decisions other people made, it falls on the Levites. Look what Hezekiah does in verse 22. Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites. If you want to devote yourself to Christ more this year, you should expect problems. You should expect issues. You should expect opposition. You should expect a whole bunch of work that you didn't think you were going to have to do. I mean, that's normal for life. That's not just for the Bible. That's just reality in a fallen world. You need to encourage yourself. You need to do what Hezekiah, again, remember Hezekiah. You need to do what Hezekiah did. Hezekiah spoke encouragingly encouragingly to all the Levites. These guys suddenly had all this extra work dumped on them because other people weren't prepared and didn't do what they were supposed to do. And Hezekiah encourages them because they need to be encouraged. You're going to need to encourage yourself. You're going to need to plan to encourage yourself. This is where doing things together is so helpful. All the Levites, right? They're, They're splitting this load. They're working together. Hezekiah's encouraging them. So a couple years ago, Bible reading plan, my kids decided they were gonna do a Bible reading plan, so they did it together. They made a little group in in a chat. They texted each other as they did their readings. They encouraged one another. They they encouraged one another in their reading. When they fell behind, they were encouraged to catch up. They were talking together about what they're reading. Doing things like this in a group can be so, so helpful because you need encouragement because stuff's gonna happen. I don't think the Levites expect. The Levites had a job. They didn't expect to all of a sudden have all these extra people dumped on them. But they were. That's what happened. You need to encourage yourself. You need, you've heard the, 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 um, the idea of self-talk, right? What you say to yourself, you need to talk encouragingly to yourself. Because change is hard. Anything you want to do to change is hard. And spiritual change especially. Because we have an enemy. There is a spiritual being, the devil, who does not want you to be closer to Christ. He does not want you to be more committed to the Lord. He doesn't want you to be at work in your life. He doesn't want you to become more Christ-like. You have all the normal parts of the fallen world, and if you are trying to become more like Jesus, then you have spiritual opposition as well. You need to encourage yourself. You need to remind yourself. These things are normal. Opposition, setbacks, problems, hiccups, extra work. It is all totally, totally normal. Encourage yourself. Remind yourself. Don't be surprised. Just keep pushing through. And finally, the the last little warning, Hezekiah in verse 24. So the Passover costs you one goat or lamb per family. If we were celebrating the Passover today, Every family here would have to have a single goat or a single lamb. That's what it costs you. Verse 24, Hezekiah, king of Judah, provided 1,000 bulls and 7,000 sheep and goats for the assembly. It did not cost Hezekiah one lamb or goat. It cost Hezekiah 7,000 sheep and goats. And it cost his officials 10,000 on top of all the bulls that were added for other sacrifices. Do Do not be surprised if 
what you decide to do for the Lord costs you more than you expect. Okay, I don't think it's going to cost you 7,000 times as much. Hezekiah's the king. He's got, you know, he's got some stuff he's got to deal with. But it is absolutely going to cost you more than you think it will. There are absolutely going to be things that come up. It's going to cost you in time. It's going to cost you in energy. It may cost you in relationships. I don't know. But it is absolutely going to cost you more. It doesn't cost Hezekiah. He's going to celebrate the Passover. He needs a lamb. No, he needs 7,000 lambs. And his official need another 10,000. It will cost more than you think to make these changes. Don't, don't let that stop you. Hezekiah does, doesn't suddenly find out, oh my gosh, I've got to provide all these lambs. Oh, forget it. We won't do it. Come back next year when you people are prepared. What's wrong with you? Yep, it costs more. He chips it out. That, that, that this is what it's going to take to make this change, to bring the nation back to God. This is what it's going to cost him. If you want to be more devoted to Jesus, oh, remember Hezekiah, it is going to cost you more than you think. But, because all all the things we've talked about, right, they're they're all basically negative. They're all like, okay, this is what you got to do. This is what you got to expect. Expect setbacks. Expect opposition. Expect problems. Don't be surprised that it costs you. Don't be surprised that you, there's more that you have to do than you expected. Don't be surprised that you're suddenly finding you're cleaning up altars and hauling them out over the walls because that's not what you came for. You came to do the Passover. But don't be surprised. Be ready for these things. But wow, look at what happens Look at the good. Look at the things that come out of it. Remember, we said originally, back in verse 10, that he invites the whole nation and they mock and ridicule him. Verse 11, nevertheless, some, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulon humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. You should expect that people aren't going to get it. You should expect that people aren't, you know, that you, you decide that on every Wednesday, Instead of going out to lunch with your colleagues like you normally do, you're going to stay in the office and you're, you're going to fast and pray that lunch break. You're going to take that hour instead of eating that one day a week and you're going to pray. You're going to get a prayer list for the, the, the family, family, church, missionaries. That's what you're going to do. Yeah, you should expect that some of your colleagues are going to think you're an idiot. They're, gonna, they're not going to be impressed with that. But you should expect that some will be. You're going to have opposition but you should also expect support. And look at verse 12. Also in Judah, which is where where he is, that's where the king lives. In Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered. You should absolutely expect that God will support you. If you are devoting yourself to doing what the Lord wants, you should 100% expect that he will back you up on that that he will support you, he will encourage you. Look, I mean, he is miraculously making a whole region of the country supportive towards the king. All the people right around him where he lives, God makes all of them favorable towards the king. God gives all of them unity together. Now, God doesn't do it everywhere. God backing Hezekiah, we just talked about all these things that go wrong. All these issues, how much more it costs him, how much more has to be done than just the Passover, all the ways that he is not supported. God backing you up does not mean it will be easy. God supporting you does not mean it's just like, oh, I'm just going to sail through and this is a piece of cake. It was work, it was costly for Hezekiah, and it will be work and costly for you too. 
If you want to change and be more like Christ this year, it will cost you, but you should 100% expect that the hand of God will be on you. I mean, this is not the only story in the Bible where people commit themselves and God helps them. And we're going to look at some more, as I said, over the next few weeks. You should absolutely expect that God will support you in this. Also, look at verses 18 through 20. Most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulon had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what is written. Now, this is not a hiccup, right? Like, not being able to do it on month one, okay, the, the, the Old Testament law says, sure, if it doesn't work, do it month two, right? This is not a hiccup, this is wrong. It's forbidden. You are forbidden to eat the Passover if you are not ceremonially clean. If you haven't gone to the trouble of being ceremonially clean for that meal, you are not allowed to eat it. It is forbidden, and you eat judgment on yourself if you do it. God is not pleased. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking, the, seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even if they're not clean, according to the rules of the sanctuary. Hezekiah asked God, I know, I know this is wrong. I know this is not what you want. Would you please treat these people based on their motives, not on their success? And God says, yes. Wow, that ought to encourage you. (laughs) They did not do it right. They messed it up. I mean, they didn't just do it wrong. They did it. It's forbidden. It it is judgment. You are not allowed to do this. And Hezekiah says, I know this is wrong. I know this isn't right. Would you please deal with people on the basis of their intentions? They're trying to do something good. They're trying to obey. And the holy God says, okay, I'm good with that. And he pardons them. One of the most astounding verses in Scripture, in my opinion, is in the book of Hebrews. It says Jesus was human just like we were. He had every problem we had. He had every temptation we had. He had every issue we had. He had all that goes on in us. It went on in him, and he never messed up. Not once, ever. He had all the same problems, issues, temptations, worries that we have, but he never gave in. He never once did what was wrong. Therefore, now what's he going to say after that? This guy had all the same problems I had, had all the same issues, all the same worries, but he never did it wrong, not a single time. Therefore, Jeff, get your act together. Look, he did it. Why can't you? That's not what Hebrews says. Hebrews says, he suffered like we suffered. He was tempted like we were tempted. He had every issue we had. He never did anything wrong. Therefore, he treats people gently because he knows how hard it is to be human. God knows how hard it is to live right. He knows how hard it is to do the right thing. The Hebrews says, Jesus doesn't condemn us. He doesn't look down on us. He has compassion on us. He treats us with mercy because he has been there. He never messed up. It's not like he was there and he did it wrong too and he commiserates. He knows how hard it is, Scripture says. And so he has mercy 
God knows how hard it is. He knows how hard it is to do the right thing. And when Hezekiah says, I know, I know this is wrong, would you please forgive us? God says, of course. And he does. That ought to encourage you. If you set your heart on following God, yes, you're going to mess it up. I guarantee it. Not a day goes by (laughs) that I don't mess it up. And if you have a day that goes by that doesn't, I really want to talk to you about it. Not a day will go by that you will not mess it up. And the Lord is gracious. May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who is trying to do what is right. And God's answer is yes. That should be so encouraging as we try to do what is right, as we try to live out lives that please God. Look at verse 21. The Israelites celebrated the Passover, the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing. Look at verse 23. The whole assembly celebrated for seven more days. They celebrated joyfully. Look at verse 25. The entire assembly of Judah rejoiced. Look at verse 26. There was great joy in Jerusalem. You know, we've heard like three, four, five times about all the problems, the issues, the hiccups that Hezekiah had. But do you hear what's happening at the end? Joy, 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 joy. Over and over and over again, this passage says there was joy. People were filled with joy. The whole city was full of joy. The Israelites were full of joy. The priests and Levites were full of joy. Foreigners, people who aren't even Jewish, who had just come to experience it, they're full of joy. Jesus said he came to make our joy complete. And you see it happening right here. Again, they don't get it right. They don't do it all right. They don't tick all the boxes. But God is gracious and God is kind and God pardons these things and they have joy. Over and over again at the end of this passage, we are told the result was joy and you should absolutely expect that as well. Just like you should expect the trouble and the issue and the work and the hardship, you should expect joy. That it is a joyful thing to serve the Lord. That is a joyful thing to be his followers. It is joyful to see him at work. It is joyful to know you messed it up and he pardons you. It's okay. Over and over again, we're told that what they have is joy. And then look, look at chapter 31, just that one verse at the end. When all this had ended. So Hezekiah sets out. This is what he's going to do. He works through all the problems. He pushes through. It ends up costing him a ton, but he pays it. He does all this. When it's all over, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and in Manasseh. Those places where people had mocked Hezekiah's couriers, like, come, come back to the Lord. The ones who came, oh, they go home and they destroy idol worship. The Asherah poles, the sacred stones, the high places, the, the, these are all worshiping other gods. And they destroy them. They don't just cleanse Jerusalem. They, they had to do that to have the Passover. They go out and start cleansing the whole country. It spreads. Hezekiah's decision to celebrate the Passover, his inviting other people to be part of that, his paying for other people to be part of that. Wow, when it is over, there is revival. 
these guys go out into the whole country, all the areas that mocked him. Now they are smashing altars to other gods. They are destroying the worship of Asherah, of Baal, of Moloch, of Chemoth, of all these other gods who have invaded the country of the Lord. They're destroying them. You should expect that if you commit yourself to follow Christ, it will spread. He will use it. He will use it in ways you've never thought about. Did Hezekiah have any idea when he started this? I don't, I don't think so. I can't imagine that he did. That all these people were going to come and then they were going to go back home and they were going to bring what had happened to them back home. It was going to spread out into all these other areas. You should absolutely expect that in any way you commit yourself to being more like Christ this year, that it will spread. The Lord will use it in ways you cannot imagine. They have a nationwide revival for these moments as they go out into the countryside and they destroy the worship of any God other than the true God. You should expect God to use that. That's how he works. He works through his people. He takes things and he, he spreads it out. We see it in Hezekiah. You see it all over the scriptures. You should expect that. So, 2023, what, what could you do to be more like Christ? And, and I'm going to say the same thing Tim said, because it was true when he said it, and it's true now. The single most significant thing you can do to become more like Jesus is just to read the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures claim that this is not just a book. These are words from God. And the Scriptures claim that while you read the book, the book reads you. And the book tells you things about yourself. That God's spirit is in this. As you read this, God's spirit works. Jesus says that the spirit will remind you of the things I said. Remind you. Well, here's a great way to be reminded. What did Jesus say? It's, here it is. The, the single most significant thing you can do to grow as a Christian is just to regularly read your Bible. So on that back table, there are two Bible reading plans, okay? One, it's just a single sheet of paper folded over. It's two chapters a day, five days a week. And you won't read the whole Bible, but you'll read a lot of it. You'll read, I hate to say this, but you'll read the significant parts. You know, um, books like Leviticus have got like 30 chapters, right? You'll read three or four. But you'll read enough to get the gist of what's going on. You won't learn about every single sacrifice, but you'll learn about the idea of sacrifices, you know, Ezekiel, it's got 40 chapters, right? All these different prophecies. You'll read, you'll read three or four of them. You'll get the gist of what he's saying. You'll get the story all the way through the scriptures. A couple chapters a day, five days a week. There's another one that's three pages stapled together, front and back. That's three chapters a day, every day, seven days a week. But you will read the whole Bible. You will read all 40 chapters of everything that has 40 chapters. You will read all 50 chapters of everything that has 50 chapters. You will read the whole entire Bible in a year. Okay? I have been doing this for more than a decade. Right? It, it, it is the single most significant thing ever in my Christian life. Right? I mean, we were missionaries, right? We tick all the boxes. Reading the scriptures will change your life. And if you don't believe me, ask anybody here who's doing it. If there's one, only one thing you can do this year. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, 
Grab one of these from the back. Try them out. They're they're on our website if you want to see them. Heck, there are so many Bible reading plans out there. Just go on the web and type in Bible reading plan. Google will show you zillions of them. There are chronological ones. There are thematic ones. You can find something, I am sure, that will interest you. If you already have a scripture reading plan, amen. Blessings on you. Hey, we're starting back off again today. You know, I'll be reading Genesis 1, Matthew 1, and Ezra 1 if you want to join me. Single most significant thing you can do for your Christian life. And if God calls you to other things, great, amen. Do those as well. But remember Hezekiah. Expect all the difficulties, oh, and expect all the joy. Expect all the positives. Expect God to be at work. Expect God to use it. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord. Thanks for your kindness. Thanks for a new year. Thanks that that, that you have protected us in all of 2022. And we expect that you will protect us in 2023 because you are good and you are gracious. And scripture says you do not change. And so I pray for us, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters. Who do you want us to be this year? Who do you want us to be in 2023? Are, Are there ways, are there things you want us to do? How can we become more like you? Jesus, remind us, as we set our hearts on doing what is right, and just like here, we fail. And we don't do it, and problems pop up, and it costs us more than we thought. And Lord, remind us, this is normal. This, this is normal in a fallen world. This is normal in a world where we have an enemy who does not want us to be more like you. But Jesus, we want to be more like you in 2023. We want to come to the end of this year and have Dunwoody Community Church be so much more like you, to be full of people who have become more like you, to be full of people who have become your followers because what's happened to us has spread out into our families and our neighborhood and our workplaces, just like it did here. All these guys go back home and they bring what happened with them and they destroy idol worship throughout the country. Jesus, we want to see that happen. We want to see your presence and your power and your spirit at work changing us and then through us changing the people around us. Lord, may it be so. May 2023 be that year. May you be at work for your good and for your kingdom. And use us, Lord. Use us. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Always in your name. We love you and we're yours. Amen.